Charles Bridges, in his commentary on this verse in Proverbs, speaking of the heart as the wellspring, comments, if the citadel be taken, the whole town must surrender. And if the heart be seized, the whole man, the affections, desires, motives, and pursuits, all will be yielded up. The heart, the citadel of man, the seat of his dearest treasure. It is fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. So above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So we're going to be looking at Proverbs 4.23 and exploring some of the corollaries of this reality, of this command to guard your heart. We see this command in many forms throughout all of Scripture, and it's the, the main build discipline. Shepherd, guard your heart. Before we get started, let's pray, and uh, then we'll jump right in. God, I, I beg that as we have your word open in front of us, as I speak, as I seek to expose the truth of your word, I beg that you would guard and guide my words. I beg that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and cause us to worship you. That you would move us to change, to repentance where necessary, and move us to worship when we see you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active this morning. Grant us understanding. Grant my heart and the heart of my hearers a submissive posture before you as we approach you in your word. God, I pray that you keep me from being a hypocrite, that these words these truths would apply first and most to myself, but that not a single one of my hearers would uh, escape, escape the weight, escape the command here, that every one of us, that your Holy Spirit would be active, and that, that he would apply these words, the truth of your scripture, to each one of us as appropriate, and that we would go out of here better able to glorify you more obedient, and most of all, um, in deeper and more thorough pursuit of you through your word as an effect of this hour of being together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. There's a what, there's a how, and there's a why. If you break this verse down, and that is the outline for the, the message this morning, there is a, a what, which is the command of Solomon, of Solomon the wise father for his son. What is it? it the, the what is keep your heart, or as NASB says, watch your heart, or guard your heart. Three different ways to translate that, that same concept. And then there's a way or a how in which that what is to be done. With all vigilance, or elsewhere translated, above all else, or with all diligence. And then there's a, a why. 
there's a reason for that. Sorry for the spacing on this. This is on the back of, of page two. The why that you're supposed to guard your heart with all diligence is because your heart is the source of your life or it's the wellspring of your life or from it flows the springs of life. So let's back into it. We're going to start looking at the why of the command. Uh, the the why. why. Why must we guard our heart with all diligence? Well, we, we must do that because your heart is the source from which all other behaviors spring. Have you ever sinned? Obviously you have. But have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? That doesn't feel like me. Let me assure you that it, it, it did. It, it is you. And it, where did it flow from? It flowed from the most inner you. Nothing that you do is out of character from you. Everything that you do, everything that pours out of your life, everything that comes out of you, or any thought that only you have, only you can see, every thought, every action, every word, comes from the most deep, most real you. Your heart, whether you explode at roommates or have a short temper with your wife, angry at children, entertaining or acting on sinful fantasies, laziness, lying, gossip, sharp speech, those sins came from your heart and those sins affect your heart. What about obedience, endurance and trial? Love for your neighbor, service in the church, selflessness, patience, self-control, honoring God. Those also come from your heart. Sins, fruit of the Spirit, indeed everything you do, good or bad, every action, thought, deed, or word, you can think of as water that has flowed from the wellspring of your heart. So Proverbs 4.23, rightly understood, and, and all else in Scripture that teaches this truth, it, it prepares you for the great gospel solution to the heart of your problem, and the heart of obedience, and guide us to walking in purity of life. I want you to write this at the top of page 2. There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart, right? There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or put another way, there is no part of your life that your heart doesn't affect. Do you get that? There's no part of your life that your heart doesn't affect. Nothing is off limits. Or third, the character of your life reveals the nature of your heart. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. There's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. And the character of your life reveals the nature of your heart. The illustration, the image here is of a city's vital water source. Pure water at the source can provide everyone in a city with pure water. But if the source is contaminated, there's no hope for pure water. And this is a problem, right? We learned about 
the unmixed condition. We learned about the nature of the unmixed human heart. And the Bible speaks of that life source in some pretty unflattering terms. Consider Jeremiah 17.9. Wrote, put this at the top of page 2. The, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? Or open your Bible to Genesis 6.5, back at the very beginning, and see God's assessment of the human heart with me. This is what moved God to destroy all but Noah and some family members with a flood. It says, Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. What man did was wicked. Why? He saw that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. So God sent a flood to wipe out all but those who he saved in the ark. And the flood didn't fix, didn't touch man's heart problem, right? That heart that was only evil continually, not necessarily as evil as it might have been, but evil in all of its intentions, not glorifying God, unmixed in its sinfulness. That description of man's heart is just as true today. And so if you take those statements, the heart is deceitful, every intention of the heart was only evil continually, and then you add that to the truth that the heart is the source of, of life, you would naturally come to the conclusion of Romans 3.10, quoting Psalm 14, that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. Right? A poisoned well produces poisoned water. And a wicked, unrighteous heart will produce wicked, unrighteous actions. No one naturally has a good heart. No, not one. No one does good before God. So if you think, okay, I need to guard my heart by trying harder, doing better. Or thinking, oh, if I add a little religion to my life, I'm going to that's guarding your heart. That You're missing the point. And if you find yourself, and if you assess your heart and you find that you are still in this unmixed condition, guarding your heart isn't an option. You, you can't guard a heart that is unmixed in its sinfulness, that is only evil continually. But remember, God doesn't leave the Christian in this situation. Speaking of the new covenant with Israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy, God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you, he promises Israel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Do you see how God addresses with the gospel, with his new covenant, the very heart of the problem. At salvation, this would be an accurate description of what God did for you, Christian. 
removed the heart of stone from your flesh, a heart that could only do evil, unmixed in its sinfulness. He says, I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and cause you to be careful to obey my rules. See how God did that? He changed the outward behavior of those who he saves by addressing their heart problem, changing you from the heart. God promised Israel that he'll someday give them this heart transplant. And that would be their only hope for cleansing. And this hasn't yet happened for Israel, but it's what God does for us when he saves us. I have a, a sweet privilege of, in, in my job, I, I do anesthesia. I give anesthesia, and it, particularly to heart failure patients. It's sobering to see what happens in a body when a heart is bad. Um, blood stops flowing effectively. God designed our healthy, we're going to the, the illustration of the physical heart. He designed your, your heart to be supple and elastic. When you need more, more blood flow, more blood returns and, and the heart stretches to accommodate it. And your cardiac output goes up. If you need to exercise, if you need to get blood to your gut, blood to your muscles, blood to your kidneys, blood to your brain. Your heart, a healthy heart can accommodate that. But a, a dead heart or a dying heart, a failing heart, doesn't it sort of actually becomes like stone just like this illustration it's crazy you, your body tries to send blood back to the heart and all that it does is sort of clogs like a, a clog drain overflowing lungs fill up with that blood and the organs don't get it and you can see the nature of a failing heart by looking at a patient or a person's mind their mind isn't sharp their kidneys fail their their gut doesn't digest food well, their muscles become weak. The body is incapacitated in weakness and lethargy, and it'll ultimately lead to death. But it's crazy when you, I've seen this a, a few times where you take a, a patient, a person who's on death's door because their heart is failing, and they get a transplant, they get a, a healthy heart put in, and all of a sudden their whole body is rejuvenated and and the very nature of all of those failing organs is changed. The dying organs are rejuvenated by new blood flow. A slow mind quickens and a body that looks like death is filled with new life. That illustration that we can only know in the last 50, 60 years or so, um, it falls far short of the illustration that God gave to Israel in Ezekiel 36, 20, 36, when he says that he is going to take dead hearts, dead stony hearts out and put in a nice new heart of flesh and the life will be different. God will cause Christians to walk in his statutes to obey his word. Christian, you had an old dead heart of stone and God gave you a new heart of flesh. He took out your old dead heart and he replaced it with a new one and caused you to be born again. John 3, 3. You're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God has given you a new heart. At regeneration, God declared you righteous and he changed you from the heart so that your way of life would match that declared righteousness. 
So that for the first time, Christian, you have the ability to obey God and love God from the heart. You still, we still live in a mixed condition, right? If you're a Christian here, we, lived in, we live in a mixed condition. Your heart is not yet what it will be. Your life is not yet what it will be. But I want you to appreciate, you must appreciate. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by our mixed condition. Oh, this flesh that, this flesh that still remains, the sin that still remains. I hate it. I must put it to death. And yes, you must. But I don't want, want us to miss the, the remarkable reality that God has changed you from the heart. You are unmixed in your sinfulness, unmixed from the heart in your rebellion to God, in your inability to love, to serve, or to, do, to, to love God or to serve God or to do anything good from the heart. And God took out that old heart, gave you a new one, made you a new creation, made you born again, gave you a new heart, gave you his Holy Spirit. You and I used to be slaves to sin because your heart was sinful. You used to be disobedient from the heart. But Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done. Open up your Bible here. Romans 6.17. And read with me. Paul says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin. Why were we slaves to sin? It's obvious, right? Because we were sinful from the heart. We were unmixed. What did God do? You have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. John Flavel, this quote's at the bottom of page two. 17th century Puritan. He said it well. There's a book that he wrote called Keeping the Heart. I'll just tell you, I straight up stole most of this message from him. A mate, um, very good book. Uh, great pastor. He's cared for my heart with his writing well. But he said, speaking in Proverbs 4.23, the heart of man is his worst part before salvation and it's his best part after it. And you see how Paul starts this verse of, of Romans 6.17. What does he say? Thanks be to God. If you've been at this church long, everything that I just told you, you know, you've been in built, everything I just told you about God changing you from the heart taking you from an unmixed condition to a mixed condition. It's not news to you. It's something that you know in your head, and it's easy for us to let truths that we're comfortable with not affect us like we should. Familiarity can sometimes rob us of the opportunity for worship. Don't let that happen this morning. Fight to never let that happen. As you open up God's word every day and you're faced with truths that are not new, maybe some that are, but good, old, 
truths that you learned the day before and the week before and the month before and the year before, maybe the decades before. Like God changed you from the heart when he saved you. Worship. Say thank you, God, and fall on your knees and worship. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. If you open up God's word every day and you come and sit in front of good expository preaching like you receive at this church, you're going to hear glorious truths frequently. And if you let yourself grow familiar in a way that leaves you unmoved, it's a dangerous place for your heart to sit. In front of this glorious truths of the gospel, fight today and every day to have the blazing, magnificent truths of God's word melt your heart in worshipful thanksgiving rather than being hardened by familiarity. So if you're sitting here just sort of bored, I apologize, I know I'm a boring speaker, but don't let that don't let that leave your heart unaffected. Fight for the next half hour to worship. So anyway, back to the lesson. Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives. And that would be horrible news if it were not for this great news, the gospel. That when God saves us, he changes us from our heart. The change in us that the gospel brings is not superficial, If you're a Christian, you've been changed from the very core of who you are. You've been changed from the wellspring of your life. You've been changed from the heart. So let everything that you learn today, everything that you resolve to do today, sit under that massive truth of the gospel. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter, top of page three wisely advised his church till the spirit has regenerated the soul all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing to make up a religion of doing or saying something that's good while the heart is devoid or void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace that's a hypocrite's religion right to act like your heart isn't sinful while your heart is sinful, you're just going to be hypocrite. But praise be to God, he has no interest in religion, right? Through the gospel, by God's work at the cross, God gives us new hearts. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. But the reality is that if you're not a Christian, if you haven't been changed from the heart, You have to deal with God first there. Plead with him. Just say, God, I I actually bring nothing but sin to the table. There's nothing good in me. I can't clean this up. I'm so dependent on you that you had to die in my place. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become 
the righteousness of God in him. There is no way apart from this heart transplant that can only come by faith alone. There is no way to clean yourself up to get you to God. You need God to declare you righteous and to make you righteous by changing you from the heart. And that only comes, like I said, by faith alone, by grace alone, by faith alone in Christ alone. So if you are, as I go on to the what do you do, if you're convicted and you're like, I need to change, you do. You, you do need to confess your sins, walk in repentance, but it must be done in faith and there must not be an ounce of self-reliance, cleaning yourself up or acting as if um, you can clean your, your own cup. That's a pharisaical religion, right? What, what did Jesus say the Pharisees were doing? They were trying to whitewash the tomb while they were full of dead men's bones. With this illustration, it'd be like, oh my, the, this water is full of poison. I better polish the cup or clean the pipes while poison, sin-filled water flows through you got to address the water. And you do that by letting God address the heart. So imagine a city with a poisoned well. Right? A, a city, ancient Judea. city digs a well. It's filled with poison. What's the nature of that city going to be? Anemic? Dying? Full of death? But then one day a king comes and digs a new well, provides a new well with pure water. The whole nature of that city is going to be different, right? They knew the effects of a tainted well, but now they know for the first time the joys of purity. The old well was full of poison. The new one has fresh water. So immediately that city would be made new, full of life. Those who were once weak, anemic, dying from poison would have the taste of that which they never knew, pure water. Those people above all else, above maybe a city that never had had poisoned water, that only knew pure water, that city would know the importance of a pure water source. Do you know what those people would never think? Those people would never think, hey, I wonder how much poison... I could put back in this new well and still be okay. No, what would their effect be? What would they do with that wellspring? They would guard it above all else with all vigilance, with all diligence because they know their very lives depended on it. They know the sweetness, the preciousness of that new well. Christian, we are those people. Our hearts were unmixed. We had a poisoned well. And that salvation for the first time, you could glorify God and not sin from the heart. So guard your heart. In light of this illustration, consider the quote from Charles Spurgeon, second one on the top of page three. And look for the build disciplines in this quote. We didn't make these up. Spurgeon had them. Church for centuries before had them. 
the Bible has the build disciplines. Look for those in this quote. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like poison. Sin is like poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, it stays not there, but it diffuses itself all over the body. And it doesn't stop till it is infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another, from the body to the soul till it has infected the whole man. And then from man to man till the whole family. And it stays not there, but it runs like wildfire from family to family till it has poisoned a whole town and a whole country and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. Sadly, it proves true in the life of King Solomon as well. The poison of sin won't stay in your heart. Right? If you don't obey this verse, if you don't guard your heart, if you dabble with poison, say, I bet I could let a little poison into this well and still be okay. It will seek to destroy you. Then your home, then your ministry and your small group and your church. We learned last time the importance of connecting your life to other believers. There's a reality. Your life is connected to other believers, whether you like it or not. When you are a Christian and God saves you into the church, your obedience benefits others. Your faithfulness benefits others. Your service benefits others. But likewise, your disobedience affects others. That's why Jesus says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's why church discipline is necessary, critical, can't tolerate a little bit of unchecked sin in the church. There will always be sin in the church. We're still sinners in an unmixed, in a mixed condition, right? But what do we do when we see sin? We confess it to one another. We pray for one another. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he is just. He's just because he, he put those sins on Christ and he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so Christians, keep a close watch on your heart because it is the wellspring. And if you leave your heart unchecked, if you let sin into your own heart, it will destroy you. But it won't be content to destroy you only. You'll see the overflow of that in your family, in your home. When you see sin in your kids, when you see sin in your wife, Look at yourself. You're the leader. I bet there's a. I bet there's not a. A line. It's, it's not a long line back from from what you see in them to probably the way that you've been caring for them. And how do you deal with that? Well, first and most, you keep a close watch on your own heart. So. The truth that the heart is the wellspring of life, it leads very naturally to Solomon's command. The what at the beginning of Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. Sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected, so guard your heart. Let me just ask you very directly. 
Get your pen out. What poison are you dabbling with? What poison are you dabbling with? Is there a sin in your life that you're like, I feel like I feel like I have it under control. I've walled it off. It's it's not affecting me. It's not affecting my life. It's but I know it's there. I'm dabbling with it. I'm content to have it in my life. Write that down and make specific plans to confess that sin, to pursue repentance, not as a means to clean up your own heart, but because God has already done that but to walk in a manner consistent with this life for which God has called you. And because that sin will not leave your heart unaffected. God's given you a new, a new heart. Don't be the people that say, how much poison can I let back in and, and still be okay? Because the reality is that is not the way that God's people live. You're not going to stay still in the Christian life. You you're either going to be, I give this illustration in, uh, in the discipline lesson. If, if the, your life is like a river, the world is like a river trying to pull you back into sin, you will either be like a leaf just dragged with the world or you're going to be a fish swimming upstream against it. You're, you're going to swim upstream against this by confessing sin when you see it, guarding your heart, pursuing purity. And so now we get to the what, the command, keep your heart. Because your heart is, a, is the wellspring of your life, keep it, guard it, protect it. Notice with me that in Proverbs 4.23, this is a command. This is not a suggestion. It's not optional. It's not a passive word. It's an active word. The word here for guard, watch, keep, it's used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an alert sentry on a watchtower guarding valuable resources. You have a valuable resource that you must watch, guard, keep. It's your heart. And a, a city wouldn't do that. Oh, it's it's the night shift. Don't worry about it. We'll, you know, this is a, a nine to five kind of thing. Or I need to guard it in the morning when I have my Bible open. No, this is a this is something you do all the time. No days off. No time off. It, the enemy isn't going to come in and creep, isn't going to creep in, right? It, the city isn't going to get attacked when the guards are on high alert. They're going to wait. They're going to wait until it's a holiday. They're going to wait until you took a moment off. You, you thought, uh, I won't be attacked today. A city dependent on a pure water source would place sentries around that spring to protect the purity of water. In a wise city would keep those sentries on guard 24-7, 365, and do so above all else because they know and a, a tainted water source, if you could if an enemy could get that, that water source, the city will fall. So that might lead you to ask how? How do we do this? Okay, I'm convinced I need to, but how do I guard my heart? Well, David, in essence, asks that exact same question. 
in Psalm 119, verse 9. He asked, how can a young man keep his way pure? Do you see how that's effectively the same question? How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, okay, what I do, the way I live, that flows from my heart. How can I keep my way pure? Well, by keeping my heart pure. How can I do that? He answered, by guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119, verse 9. And then he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So how did, how did David guard his heart? How did David guard his heart? With God's word, not wandering from his commandments. But do you see here that with my whole heart I seek you? As you guard your heart, you will be faithful to protect it from sin. Not wandering from commandments. You'll be careful who and what you allow close. You'll fight temptation. You'll keep sin out. But do you see how heart guarding isn't just keeping sin out, but most fundamentally, Christian, heart guarding is what you keep in. Pursuing God, seeking God with your whole heart. As you guard the wellspring of your heart, we must be shepherding our hearts to the word of God to get the God of the word. Reading your Bible is not heart guarding, is not heart shepherding. No, you must seek God as you read his word. Fleeing from sin alone isn't all heart guarding, but, but you flee from sin in pursuit of God. You don't shepherd your heart, guard your heart in the morning and then go about your day, but you actually seek God through his word, through obedience of his word throughout the day. You ought to see evidence of this in every single thing you do in the day. It's not, okay, I guarded my heart in the morning and now I went and did my thing, but every single thing that you do in the day, whether it's work, play, eating, sleeping, I don't care what it is, you ought to be able to say there's evidence of seeking God in that task. Which means that task won't be tainted by sin, right? Where you see sin, you'll confess it and repent of it. But absence of obvious sin isn't the goal exclusively, but no, it's it's actually pursuit of God um, and the God of the word in all of life. Do you see how that guards you from pharisaical behavior-focused religion but to God in the gospel, right? The Pharisees were like, all right, I need to make sure I tithe exactly the amount, the right amount of mint and dill. I need to wash my hands. I need to make sure I look good to everybody else. They poured over the scriptures because they, they thought that that's how they're going to get to God. But Jesus said, but you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. You actually 
must not only flee from sin. You must flee from sin, but don't don't let your, your life, your heart guarding, be focused on these externals. But it's actually, I, I want to get God at the, I want to pursue God from my heart um, with my whole heart seeking him. Turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. You see, I think, a, a New Testament illustration or a New Testament um, a similar uh, New Testament reality to this Psalm 119.9 Old Testament reality. What I love about this passage is it, it gives, it recognizes that, that if you hear me talking about, man, you have this new heart, God's given you a new heart, you can obey him from the heart. And you might hear that and say, I know that that's true, but I just see so much sin in my life. I see so much of this reality of the mixed condition. I'm more overwhelmed by by that mixed part, the, the sin that remains than this, this new heart that I have. John, John actually says, he, he says, Beloved, you're God's children now. But what will be has not yet appeared. Meaning that unmixed condition, that the glorified nature of your heart. But don't worry, you are actually God's children now, made in his image. You're not God's children now merely by adoption, but yes, you are. But when he adopts you, if you adopt a child, if we adopt a child, they don't become like us, right? We don't, they sort of can by being in our home, but but you don't change their nature. They still have the genes of their biological parents. God God actually changes us more fundamentally when he adopts us as his children. He, he makes us into his image and then through trials, through sanctification, conforms us into his image. And then at glorification, makes us like him. Let's look and see how does he accomplish that. Beloved, we're God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? What's the means that we're going to be made like him? Because we see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Christian, God has changed you and he's made you his child. But this change of nature, although drastic, it isn't yet complete. What we will be has not yet appeared. But one day when we see God as he is, in a moment we're going to be made to look completely like him. This flesh that so easily entangles, that's so easily contaminated, will be removed. And we will be pure even as he is pure. Right? Before we couldn't not sin. Now we can not sin. And and we actually can glorify God. We can obey. Then we won't be able to. We're going to be made pure. We will be unmixed. But do you see the means that God uses to accomplish that final transformation into his image? It's seeing him as he is. And this gives us hope that we are God's children now and purification is possible. We see that our 
the means of our final transformation is not dissimilar with our means of sanctification now. On that day, we will be made like him by seeing him. And now we are made like him by seeing him. And where do we see him most clearly revealed? In his word. With our whole heart, we seek he, We must be seeking him. Heart guarding is not merely fleeing sin, though it must include that. But it is fixing the gaze of our heart, hopefully on God in his word. You see this reality elsewhere in scripture. I'd point you to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Really the whole chapter elsewhere, but... I would just say you must, this, this reality has to affect the way that you go to God in his word when you open it in the morning. It's not merely let's check off the box, let's read this passage. But you must be pursuing God, let me see you today. Not in some mystical way, but just ask the question every day before you get up out of the chair in the morning, what did this passage reveal about God? And how must this affect me? If you just have a prayer journal and you write that, or a Bible reading journal, you write that at the top of every page and you answer that question. What does this passage reveal about God and how must this affect me? You'll be benefited. And, and you will actually be, the effect of that will be fleeing sin, confessing sin when you see it, and pursuing God through his word. So this all leads very naturally to the how of Proverbs 4.23, right? If the heart is the wellspring, we must guard it. And if it's that important, we must do so above all else with all diligence, with all vigilance. We have a new heart, new love, new affections for God. But the flesh within, Satan and temptations without, they're constantly assaulting the heart, seeking to taint it with sin. So set up a guard for your heart by above all else not being content to even let an ounce of sin in. Rather, we guard our heart by seeking God with our whole heart through his word. All the time, every day, no higher priorities, no days off. Is there anything, let me ask you this question, is there anything you do in your life with more attention than you guard your heart? The answer ought to be no. And similarly, there, there ought to be nothing that you do in your life, like I said, that doesn't have an aspect of heart guarding to it. So another way to ask, it, I asked you earlier, is there any sin that you're dabbling with that you're content to have in your life? I, I would now ask, is there any part of your life that doesn't give it doesn't have heart guarding as an aspect to it and might actually be working against your, your guarding of your heart. The kinds of things that, that would obviously be in mind would be entertainment choices. Is there something that you're exposing your eyes, your mind, your heart to that actually works against pursuit of God? Maybe not even overtly sinful. If it's sinful, you're like, yeah, that's, uh, that's something I ought that would be worthwhile to lay aside. Maybe something you just see distracts you from pursuit of God, distracts you from disciplined obedience. 
maybe looks more like I wonder how much sin I could let, how much poison I could let back into this well and still be okay, than actually, man, I'm pursuing purity by pursuing God in his word. This isn't a, a suggestion. This isn't something that would be good to do in addition to all the other things we do in life. Guarding your heart must be the most important task in your life. It must be done in all of life. In a war, it's not typically a single decisive battle where somebody's defeated. It's one tiny surrender at a time. You aren't going to wake up one day and decide that you're going to stop watching. You're at war. And you probably aren't going to say, you know what, I'm just going to surrender today. But it's likely going to be more of a slow, incremental process. After small, incremental compromises, you become something that you never imagined that you could become. So you must remain vigilant. Hold the line. Don't compromise in your heart guarding. Even on things that appear seemingly insignificant. Let me warn you and warn myself. Being convinced of the necessity of heart guarding is not sufficient. Using heart guarding language, heart shepherding language, being here at Build even reading your Bible, agreeing with this verse, it doesn't automatically mean that you're guarding your heart. Being excited or being convinced of the necessity of guarding your heart doesn't even doesn't mean that you're doing it. Solomon wrote this passage under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Consider Solomon with me. I, on vacation, I, I was reading First Kings. Chapters 1 through 11 really are a, a parable, a warning for us. That knowing the necessity of heart guarding and even making some good decisions, God, give me wisdom. It's not the same thing as doing it. And it shows the slow, destructive capability of small incremental compromises where one day you become something that you didn't think you possibly could be at the beginning. Solomon started off well. And by chapter 11, I'll just read it. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edenite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which Yahweh had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. God warned them. God warned Solomon. He actually gave him very specific warnings as king don't pursue marriage to many women. He also said things like, don't accrue a lot of gold and silver for yourself. He even said specific things like, don't go back to Egypt for a lot of horses. Each and every one of those things. And 
chapters 1 through 11, um, Solomon compromised on. And here specifically, in the face of the command, don't marry a lot of women, uh, especially from the nations. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses, 300 concubines. Probably thought, I'm the wisest man who ever lived. I can handle this. I'm the king. I'm devoted to, to Yahweh. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to Yahweh his God, as was the heart of David his father. David, Psalm 119 verse 9, sought God with his whole heart. Solomon, through a series of heart-poisoning compromises, had his heart turned away. And don't you dare think, I'm not going to marry 700 wives and 300 concubines. I'm safe. Solomon probably didn't think he was going to get there either. Back at chapter 1, 2, 3. One compromise after another, after another. One click on the internet. One morning of skipped time in the Word. One angry thought. One entertainment choice. Hitting the snooze button. One compromise turns into another one, turns into another one. And soon, the God that you're devoted to today has become an afterthought. Your heart's been turned away. Because you didn't guard your heart. Solomon knew Proverbs 4.23 better than we do. He wrote it. So the question I have for you is, how well have you been guarding your heart and how can you do better? So like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, right? If you have a water control, you have a department devoted to saying we need pure water in the city, they're not merely going to say, okay, good, we have, uh, we have good filters. We have, uh, we have guards out making sure that nobody puts poison in the water. They're not going to trust that in and of itself, but they're going to look at the water that flows through the pipes and say, is there poison in this? Is there something we missed upstream? Just like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, we too should evaluate what's flowing from our wellspring to see how the source is. Not to clean the pipes, not to polish the cup, but to get at the wellspring. By grace, through faith, pursue repentance, obedience, confession of sin. C.J. Mahaney wrote, We study our hearts in the shadow of the cross as a means of protecting our hearts from the daily presence and opposition of sin. And if you don't watch, you'll inevitably weaken. You, we must do this in the shadow of the cross, knowing that our only hope at heart guarding is that 
God gave us a new heart. He promises purity. He's more devoted to it than us. We're not doing this as something to add to our salvation, but as an outworking, outworking of it. But I've given you a few questions I want you to consider now and over the following weeks. Then I want you to come up with at least three more, and that's going to be your homework. These questions are going to help be tools to help you guard your heart. Questions like, do your daily routines reflect that you're guarding your heart above all else? What lures you away from God? How diligently do you flee this? You're going to come up with three more questions. Make them humiliating. Say, these are questions not to make you look good, but questions to help reveal where you actually might be vulnerable. Questions that might help you reveal how what pursuits actually lead to uh, pursuit of God. For me, these, these questions are, how frequently am I hitting the snooze button? What apps do I launch on my smartphone when I have free time? What's in my YouTube watch history? How am I using social media? What do I meditate on? first thing in the morning what can't I wait to get to how diligently do I get to bed at the time I say I should I I don't know what questions you're going to have but don't write them quickly spend some time on them and then go over the answers to these questions with your roommate with your spouse with your small group we're going to wrap it up We'll wrap it up by reading the quote at the bottom of page four from Paul David Tripp. It says, if my heart is the source of my sin problem, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It's not enough to alter my behavior or to change my circumstance. So make sure that as you answer these questions, as you look at these questions, you're not just saying, oh, I need to change my behavior here. Maybe I need to just change my circumstances. No, these circumstances or behavior reveal compromises in the heart, reveal opportunities to shepherd, to guard your heart. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. And if the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear. Don't let this be that kind of pressure or incentive, but prayerfully, in dependence on the Holy Spirit, pursuit of the Lord, um, look for where you can do a better job of guarding your heart. Confess, repent, and uh, pursue, uh, pursue faithfulness for the sake of your own heart, for the sake of your home, for the sake of your ministry. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, this clarity. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Apart from him and this heart change, uh, obedience, pursuit of you, glorifying you would truly be impossible. So I pray that you would be active in us uh, today as we consider this and, and over, the next two, over the next weeks as we um, consider this homework. And I pray that this wouldn't merely be over these weeks, but would be a lifelong pursuit of ours.
that we would be diligent to guard our hearts with all vigilance because from them flow the springs of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.